It is my honor to introduce to you our speaker this morning, William Sofield. Uh, but before I bring him up, I want to explain just a little bit in terms of, if I can, where he's coming from and where he's uh, serving currently. Most of you know that this church is a part of a larger grouping, a denomination called the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA. The PCA has a variety of different agencies, uh, Mission to the World, Reform University Fellowship, Covenant College, Covenant Seminary, some others. Another one is Mission to North America. Now, Mission to North America has under it several agencies uh, under that broader heading as well, one of which we heard a lot about just uh, in the last month or so, Disaster Relief. Uh, those were the folks that, that came up and drove up and helped us to help our, our brothers and sisters, our friends, neighbors up around exit one when that horrible, those tornadoes came through some weeks ago. Uh, they were kind enough to bring up some generators uh, to literally plug in for folks who were without power for some number of days. Uh, another thing that Mission in North America is known for oftentimes is church planting. That's how the PCA is growing and planting X number of churches with great goals and training and mentoring that goes on with that. But this is another thing that Mission in North America is known for, and that is the chaplaincy. Now, when I say chaplaincy, I'm going to lay money. Nearly every person in this room immediately assumed I'm speaking exclusively of military chaplains, of whom we have some great guys in the room, and we're glad for that. But the chaplaincy under the oversight of Mission to North America is not exclusively military chaplains. And, and William is a prime example of that, for he is a chaplain, a member of the Nashville Presbytery, in fact, uh, a, a chaplain for hospice. So very glad, William, that you could be here with us today, uh, especially having driven down with your son Samuel. Good to meet him. Glad you all got caffeinated as you uh, made your drive in from Bowling Green, Kentucky. So let's welcome our brother, Thank you, thank you. This is my first time here, uh, not only in this church, but also in Clarksville. I've never been here before, so it seems like a nice place. <laughs> uh, so, my, yes, my name is William, and I'm a hospice chaplain in, in and around Bowling Green, uh, which means that I go and visit people who are dying and their families uh, in their homes mostly, but also nursing homes and hospitals and assisted living facilities and wherever they are. We once, I had a patient who was homeless, and so I would visit with him under a bridge. That's where he lived. And so I would go and sit with him, and I talk with them, and I pray with them, and I read the Bible and sing with them, and uh, nobody else is interested in hearing me sing, but... And when you're stuck in a bed and dying, anyone singing Amazing Grace or How Great Thou Art is good enough. Anyway, um, I can tell already from the time that I've been here with y'all that y'all are a group of folks who have, are used to a very steady diet of robust and wonderful lessons from the Bible and on the gospel, which means that y'all are my people. This is wonderful. And it also means that I want to do something a little bit different with you all today. Uh, I was about to say, if that's okay, too bad. I've got the microphone. This is what we're doing. Okay, instead of a good lesson, I want to help us to meditate together on a passage of Scripture. And, the, and that passage is, 
One verse from Psalm 116. If you've got your Bibles and you like to turn there, that's fine. But we're going to do a lot of meditation, not a lot of uh, deep thinking. Um, and so Psalm 116, which is a psalm all about death. And a man contemplating a near-death experience that he's had and trying to meditate on that and what does that mean for him and how does he live his life in light of that. But I especially want to focus in on verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Maybe your ideas about death uh, and the dying process come mostly from TV and movies. Well, that's not true for me. I have held the hands of thousands of people who are in the process of dying. I've watched dozens of times as people have moved from this life into eternity um, and took their last breath in that way. And so I want to tell you a few stories about my experience with death. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. About six years ago, I met a woman who was dying, and she had not gotten out of bed in about eight months. She was confused most of the time when I met her. Um, she had mostly stopped talking. She could answer yes or no questions, but she hadn't really talked much in quite a while other than that. Our medical team was making sure that she was comfortable um, and she just basically laid in her bed, and she would occasionally open her eyes and look around, but she mostly just laid there, and her family was taking care of her. Well, I went in, and I sat in her bedroom there, and her son was there, and, and so I started asking him questions, and she told me that, uh, excuse me, he told me that she had raised seven children, and actually she had raised um, a good number of her grandchildren as well all while working on a farm for her entire life. And so she would, had all the jobs of milking the cows and driving a tractor and repairing the fences and a thousand other jobs that come with farming. Her 80 years in this world uh, were full of hard work and very little rest. And you could tell that by looking at her. She had a very hard life. He also told me that she had a lifelong habit of daily Bible reading out loud. Um, most, of the, most of her adult life, she was raising children. And so she would always have the children there every evening, whatever children she had in her house, and she would sit them down and they would read the Bible. And, she, and even then, after all the kids were gone, she would read the Bible every night until she was no longer able to do that. And so now, at the end of her life, her adult children were taking turns caring for her, and they began reading the Bible to her out loud. And her son said that they had started in the Gospel of Matthew and just read through the four Gospels, and when they got to the end of John, uh, day by day as they're reading, then they went back to Matthew, and they had actually been through the four Gospels multiple times with her. Uh, and so I saw her large print Bible next to her bed as she was laying on it, on, on her bed. 
Uh, it was well-worn, and I picked it up. I wanted to read some of the Bible to her. And I, okay, so y'all are working through the Gospels. And her, her son said, yes, that bookmark there, that's exactly where we left off last night. So I picked it up. And I talked with her a little bit. She didn't really respond uh, to me, which is typical of a lot of my patients. And so I opened up the Bible, and I started reading where they left off, which happened to be Matthew 11. And so I began reading, and Jesus curses a bunch of cities and condemns them as worse than Sodom. That's not the passage I would have picked for that situation. So I kept reading in Matthew chapter 11, and I came to the next paragraph, which says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as I read that, she lifted her arms up in the air. Straight up, she had her fingers splayed out like this, and she started clapping. Just like that. And she opened up her eyes. She had a big smile on her face. Tears were coming down her cheeks. And she started staring up into the ceiling as if she saw something that we didn't see. And she moaned loudly. It was not pretty. But it may have been the most joyful noise I've ever heard. And she died a few days later. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. About 20 years ago, I uh, had a job where I, I worked in a, part of, part of it was going to a nursing home and, and being a chaplain in this nursing home. And I would lead Monday through Friday a daily evening prayer service um, using the Book of Common Prayer. Some of you know that uh, prayer book. Uh, and I would lead this service in a, in a locked ward, a locked hall, in this nursing home where pretty much all the patients, not pretty much, all the patients there had dementia. That's why it was locked, because they would wander out. They're all confused in various ways. And so every evening, around 5 o'clock, um, shortly before dinner, the, uh, the staff would arrange chairs, like these chairs here, in a big circle in their little common area there, and I would come in and sit in one of those chairs, and we would go through the Book of Common Prayer evening prayer service uh, together with those folks. And when I would come in there, I remember there was always one lady, one lady who would always, as soon, she was kind of waiting for me. Uh, she knew that I would be there, and so she would follow with me, she kind of uh, wherever I was, and she would sit right down next to me on my right every time. And the entire time that I was with her, she would be muttering under her breath. She never talked to me. She'd be muttering under her breath, and she, she seemed to be angry and bitter, uh, but it wasn't she wasn't angry, she, but she, she would yell at people who weren't there, uh, she, and, and often with profanity. Uh, so she would, you know, get off my lawn, stop throwing those eggs, you son of a, you know. That. And that's just who she was, and everybody knew who she was. And she would come, and she would sit down right next to me, every prayer service, every prayer service. Uh, and she, throughout the entire prayer service, she's muttering under her breath. 
loud enough for everyone to hear, but it wasn't actually a disturbance because we all know who she was. That's who she is. And she would mutter the entire time like that until, until we got to the Lord's Prayer. And when we got to the Lord's Prayer, as soon as I would start, our Father who art in heaven, and everyone else is saying it as well, she's right with us, saying it word for word. And then as soon as we were done, she'd go back to her muttering. Until we got to the Apostles' Creed that we said here today. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. She'd be right with us, word for word. And then she'd go back to her muttering. And the staff told me that that prayer time was her favorite time, always. That's why she was looking out for me. And that's why she came to be with me. I found out that in her younger years, she was a Lutheran missionary. She was single all of her life. And she worked in Latin America as a school teacher and served the missionaries there in Latin America, the Lutheran missionaries. When I met her, her mind was broken. But she loved Jesus. And this was the only way that she could feel normal and express her love for him. I left that job actually before she died, but she was dying a very slow death that comes with dementia. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Not all my patients love the Lord so much. Uh, I remember a patient I had in the hospital um, when I was a hospital chaplain. This was many years ago now. He was about 70 years old, and when I walked into the room for the first time, I never met him before. I was just going to visit him, see what's going on. There was a doctor that was leaving the room, and that doctor was leaving the room from giving the patient some very, very bad news, news that uh, things were much worse than they thought based on the scans and such and such. I don't know. I don't remember the specifics. Uh, he, he would never leave the hospital and would probably die in a couple weeks. And so then, that's the news that he got, and I walked right in after that, the chaplain. And he, he was crying, understandably. And so we talked for a little while, and he told me that he was a collector of antique rifles. He had a whole bunch of antique rifles, and he loved to go to competitions. They have competitions for these things. This is not my thing, but it was his. And you, competitions, and so you got to get to know your rifle, and they would have like shooting competitions for accuracy and such. He said, oh, yeah, you get these modern weapons, and they're super accurate, and that's no, you know, that's no big deal. you got to get like an old musket and see how you can be accurate with that. And so he, he told me he had just bought, just bought a Civil War-era rifle that he was super excited about. And he said, I'm never going to get to shoot it, and that's all he cared about. And he told me that if he couldn't shoot that new rifle that he had just bought, then life wasn't worth living. Uh, I visited him multiple times and learned that he had alienated everybody in his life. He had no family. He died alone and bitter and angry. As best as I could tell, his life really was wrapped up in his antique rifle collection. And I have too many stories like this. Last summer, I remember watching two brothers fist fighting as 
right over the bed as their mother is dying, each claiming they had a right to inherit her house. I had to call the police for that. I've seen too many suicides and too many drug overdoses and too many people in denial about their own deaths. Um, These kind of dramatic scenes don't start dramatic. They start as small issues unaddressed. Nobody plans in their life to punch their brother in the neck as their mother is taking her last breath. Um, It happens slowly. Harsh words and arrogant attitudes, selfish motives. But let's not look down our noses at those two brothers because except for God's grace, any of us could be there. I have my precious rifle collection and you do too only it's something else. Death brings out the best and the worst in people. It amplifies who you have become. All right, so let me ask you, who are you becoming? How, how are you going to die? How do you want to die? That's, I look out here and a lot of you, all the young people, you're healthy and You haven't thought about your death. You don't want to think about your death. It's probably good to think about your death. Uh, I have not a small number of pediatric patients. Death comes to everybody. And you can't change the fact that you will die. But you can be prepared for it or not. Listen, every breath you take is a gift from God. And he doesn't owe it to you. Every heartbeat is at his direction. And one day your heart's going to stop and your lungs are going to relax. And you're going to die. And if you don't prepare for that, you're not going to be prepared. And this psalmist, in this psalm, is preparing for his own death. That's a good thing. I'm not really going to give you any advice about how to live your life to be prepared for your death. Oh, I just dropped a pencil. I'm going to leave it there. Uh... It's not my pencil. I don't know what's going on with that. If I put it up here, it's going to roll back off. Okay. I'm not going to give you advice about how to live your life in light of your death because every one of you knows better than what you're actually living, so you don't need advice. Maybe a little bit of application. Where are you right now, number one? Where do you want to be to be ready to die, number two. And then how do you get from here to there? We call that spiritual formation or spiritual disciplines. Uh, if, if you want more help on that specifically, I'm not gonna talk about that. I'll bet Pastor Richard's got a way to help you with that or the elders, talk to them. Yeah, could you, could you help somebody with that? Yes. Listen, the only reason that we have hope that our death could be precious is because Jesus, the God-man, died himself. And he went beyond death to resurrection and promised to bring us with him through that dark curtain when we die. He didn't have to die the way that we do, but he chose to. And his death forged a way through death to life on the other side. Everlasting life. 
He did what we cannot do. And he gives that gift to us. That's grace. That's the gospel. And this is why the death of Jesus especially is so precious to us. The death of Jesus is so precious to us. Precious in the eyes, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I pray that my death, when it comes, will be precious to the Lord. And if it is, it will only be because the death of the Lord Jesus is so precious to him and I am in Christ. Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I think too many of us are reluctant, afraid, squeamish about talking about our own deaths. And you all feel it right now, don't you? I can see it on your faces. You don't like this. You want me to be done. Okay, that's fine, that's fine. Uh, We're squeamish about it, we don't like it because we're afraid that our own deaths will be meaningless. And I'll tell you that without Jesus, I think that's true. But with Jesus, our deaths are precious. And everything matters. You matter. Your death matters, your love matters, your work matters, your life matters, and this is all because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I'm going to tell you one more story, and then I'll sit down. There was an 85-year-old man who came into my care because his body was filled with cancer. His heart was failing, and he was in bed all the time at home. As I got to know him, I learned that he had been an active deacon in his small Baptist church for over 50 years. That's a long time. He had never finished the eighth grade because at that time in his life, his family needed him to work on the farm. So he stopped school and went to work on the farm. As an adult, he worked on that farm until things went so bad they had to sell the farm. And then he went and worked in the factory for the rest of his life, his adult life. And I sat with him and his dear wife, who was there with him. Um, she, would, she was great at taking care of him, changing his diapers, all the things that he needed. And we would sing together. We would sing old gospel hymns together. And we would pray together. And he told me that he loved to hear me sing and to hear me pray for him and for his family. And he told me almost every time I visit, I am ready to see Jesus, but I don't want to leave my family and my friends. And so I thought about that, and I helped him to remember and to think about the people that he loved already who had already gone to heaven and help him think about that death really is, for the Christian, for the believer, it's moving from one part of our family to another part of our family. I often tell folks, 
uh, as we're sitting together like this, I say, you, can, you know, we're all sitting here together as a family, and here's this dying person, and there's another room somewhere of a whole bunch of this family that's waiting for this death to happen as well, and they're super excited and happy and can't wait for it to happen because they get to be reunited. Well, he told me about his parents and how much he missed them. They had gone on. He told me about his old pastor, the pastor of the church that he was a deacon at for many, many years, and uh, his pastor and, and uh, the pastor's wife and my patient and his wife, the four of them became really great friends. Uh, the two men were fishing buddies, and they loved to fish together, but the families also went on vacation together regularly. They were like a second family. They were wonderful. And he told me about how much he missed uh, that little bit older couple that they had spent so many years with. And I said, you're going to get to see them again soon, I think. And his wife was sitting there, and she said, you know, as I hear about this, I'm kind of jealous that you're going to get to see them before I get to see them. And so I asked his wife, I said, that's probably, I said, that's probably true that he's going to get to see them before you do. It, it's been a while. It's been 15, 20 years since you've seen either of them. Is there a, any kind of message that you would like to give to your husband to take to give to your pastor and his wife. And she started crying. And she gave him a message that was incredibly personal and beautiful and brought me to tears. I'm not going to tell you that. Later on, I was visiting with that man, um, and he was telling me about all of his children and his grandchildren. He had a bunch of grandchildren. And he, boy, he loved his family. He loved his family. He had all these pictures around. And he was telling me about his youngest. His youngest grandchild was five years old. And he told me, he said, I, I never got to teach the little one how to fish. I taught all my grandchildren how to fish, every single one. But I was too sick when he was old enough to teach how to fish, and I wish I could teach him how to fish. And I said, hmm. So I gathered my hospice team together. And I said, how can we make this happen? So on a Monday morning, we got him some extra medicine. I don't know about that. The nurses and doctors, they figured that out. I don't know what he needed. But they got him some enough medicine. They got him a special wheelchair with a safety harness, a special vehicle. We, we got him in a chair. We took him out to a small dock overlooking this beautiful pond, pretty large, gorgeous pond. And that little five-year-old sat on his lap. And he taught his grandson how to put a worm on a hook, how to cast the pole, how to set the hook when the bobber goes under the water. And honestly, the whole thing lasted just a few minutes because he was exhausted. And so, you know, other family members are there. They're snapping pictures and getting it all. And so we got him back home, and he slept for about three days straight. Well, that Sunday, his little church, which was mostly elderly people, and very small by that time, his little church decided that they would have their worship service at his house. He hadn't been able to go to church in a long time. And so he laid in his bed, and they had their worship service right there in his house. And he did his best to sing the hymns. He listened to the Bible reading, to the prayers, and 
to the preaching. And he was surrounded by other Christians who were going to carry on the faith. And at the end, he pronounced the benediction for his little church, just like he always did when he was younger. That was his job. And he blessed that small congregation with the peace of Christ. And that evening, he died. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the fangs out of death for us, for opening the door so that death is uh, just a path to another life, a better life for us. Father, thank you for the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus and the hope that we have. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.